for those of you who came in late, this isn't me. I am Tim this morning, who's gone down with a tummy bug. So um, it's his preparation. It's his time before God. I'm just here to deliver. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you speak to us through your word. So Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would take this preparation, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive from you and to learn more of you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought I'd better just check that the pages are in the right order because actually I wouldn't necessarily know. So they are in the right order. Between the First and Second World Wars, France embarked on an ambitious project to defend its borders against German aggression. France had been invaded by the Germans, first in the Franco-Prussian War and then in World War I. So they put up a series of forts along the French-German border with huge cannons encased in concrete facing Germany. The idea was that if Germany decided to invade France again, they would be halted by these fortifications. Well, Hitler did invade France in World War II, but instead of invading directly across the border between Germany and France, Hitler sent his army north and came through Belgium and then proceeded south to France. The French couldn't defend themselves because all of their cannons were locked in cement. They were unprepared for the kind of warfare that Hitler unleashed on them. Well, today, this is our fifth in the series on the kingdom of God, Jesus' central message. Everywhere Jesus went, he talked about how God, our good king, was breaking into this world through Jesus' life, his words, through Jesus' works, to re-establish his reign over again, the reign of the counterfeit king, Satan. His reign over Satan's reign. So, how do we prepare ourselves for this war? The purpose of Ephesians 6 is to prepare followers of Christ for the reality of the Christian life. Ephesians 6 is all about giving us the proper equipment so that we don't go into battle like the French did in World War II with guns stuck in cement. Every day is a battle over our hearts and our minds. So then, how should we prepare each day? We're told two times in verses 11 and 13 to put on the full armour of God. And Paul goes through seven pieces of armour that we need to put on. We can't pick and choose the bits of the armour. We need it all. And listen, bad news. Doing our human best is not enough in a spiritual war. Samson was the strongest man who ever lived, and he fell. David 
was the most devoted, and he fell. Solomon was the wisest, and he fell. Basically, doing our human best is just not good enough. So what are the weapons that we need to take up? So if your Bible is open in front of you, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Put on the belt of truth. Paul is drawing a picture from the Roman army of his day. It's likely there was a Roman soldier in the jail cell when Paul actually wrote this. He says, if you want to prepare for war, you must start with the foundation of truth. The truth about who God is and the truth about who we are. The truth about the world and sin and salvation. Paul is saying, before you walk out of your door in the morning, what is the lens through which you look at life? When you're facing a decision, how do you approach it? Well, you could take as your starting point your feelings. Many people do that. Many people have as their final authority what they feel like. We can say, well, I know what the Bible says about who God is and that God is infinitely big, that God is capable and God is caring and God is consistent, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me because I've received Christ into my life. But I just feel like I can't fight anymore. I feel like I'm all by myself. In that scenario, your feelings, your feelings are the final authority. Secondly, maybe the authority for your decision is your reason. So if you face a problem or a difficulty, you say, well, I can't understand why God would allow this. And because you can't understand why something is happening, you decide that you have to go it alone, independent of God, that it's not worth praying about. It's not worth waiting for God to work. And so the final authority for your life is what you can understand in the moment. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. And the third, so we said feelings, reason, and the third is sometimes our starting point is the intellectual fashions of the day. In the 20th century for a season, Marxism was the rage. Jesus was a Marxist, and then the Berlin Wall fell, and all the horrors of how communism actually worked in Eastern Europe were revealed. I also remember back in the early 90s when lots of experts said that the key to life was positive self-esteem. The then different researchers began to examine the link between self-esteem and success. 
they discovered that very many successful people don't actually think that much of themselves and that many other people, including sociopaths in prison, have a huge and expansive view of themselves and a really high self-esteem. What's going to be your starting point for doing life? Paul says, start with the truth every day. Start with who God is. Today, I'm living my day with my perfect father, who is completely wise and full of good counsel. He is my protector and my provider. He is committed. He is consistent. He is caring and compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is generous and genuine. He is holy, perfect, and not to be messed with. He always wants my good, and he always hates my sin. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is impossible with God. So that's the truth, the belt of truth. Secondly, Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6.14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. We need righteousness. What do you rely on to feel okay with the God who really exists? Some people rely on their experience of God. Oh, I had an extraordinary experience of God a week ago, a month ago, 20 years ago, and I became a Christian. And it's that experience that lets me know that actually I'm okay with God. Here is the problem with experience. What happens when your experience dries up? Are you still okay with God? Some of us rely on our service, on our ministry, on our usefulness. I must be okay with God because look at the way I'm being used to help other people. But what happens when you stop being useful? What is it today that makes me okay with the God who is? Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Cover your heart and everything that's vital with Christ's righteousness. We can never attain to God's standard of righteousness. God is absolutely perfect in all that he does. The reason that God sent his son into the world was to give us his righteousness. Jesus came to be the spotless, sinless lamb of God who took on his own body our sins. And in exchange for our sins, God gives us Christ's righteousness. We exchange our rags for his riches. That's the breastplate. Christ's righteousness. What an exchange. 
So what else do we put on? We put on the shoes that make us ready to share the gospel. The idea of putting on shoes of readiness to share the gospel seems to be this. We put on shoes in order to move somewhere. Paul is saying that we are always available, we're always ready to bring to other people good news of peace. The gospel message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that if it is received, will bring about peace with God, inner peace inside, and peace in our homes. Why is the readiness to share the gospel a weapon? I think it works this way. As you share the gospel, as you talk with someone else about Jesus, as you say, you know, God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world to die for you. God loves you so much that he wants to enter a relationship with you that will change your life for the good forever. As you communicate the gospel, you confirm yourself in the gospel. Your faith gets more real for you. Especially when you see a friend or a loved one changed by the gospel. It underlines the truth that the gospel of peace is the power that changes lives. What else? Paul says, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith was a large, apparently almost door-shaped shield, about four foot high and two and a half foot wide. It was made of two layers of laminated wood covered with animal skin and sometimes covered with thick tar so that when a Roman soldier went out to battle, they would carry this shield over their heads. The enemy would often shoot flaming arrows up into the air and these flaming arrows would be extinguished by these huge shields. Paul says that the enemy launches repeated volleys of flaming arrows. Might be temptations, lies, deception, discouragement. But up comes our shield of faith. We lay hold of who God is. We lay hold of his promises. And the arrows are put out as we hold up the shield of faith and say, Lord, you say in your word that you are my defender and my protector. Defend me. Do what is right in this situation. Expose the lies, the deception, Lord. You say that you've forgiven my sin even though you know that my sin against you reaches to the heavens. So I'm going to believe that you will empower me to forgive that person who hurt me. The shield of faith. Ephesians 6, 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the helmet. Sometimes, 
We've been under attack for so long that we feel like just giving up. Do you ever feel like you are under siege? It keeps coming and coming wave after wave. We say, why fight at all? I'm just going to give up. Nothing I do is stopping the attack. Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher from the last century, in his brilliant book on the armour of God, helpfully points out that salvation has three tenses. We were saved when we put our trust in Christ. We are being saved day by day. We are being changed and we will be saved. Ultimately, ultimately, we will be delivered from all the sorrows of this world, from all the trials, from all the pain in our bodies, from all the pain in our hearts and all the pain in our families. We will be saved. Our suffering and the battle will not last forever. Put on the sword of the Spirit. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Paul says that there is a way to drive the enemy back on his heels. You don't only have to take it and defend yourself. There is a way to take ground from the enemy that you've been, maybe you think, actually, I've given up on my marriage. Or you may think, the ground the enemy's taken on my personal life. I've given up. Take ground back from the enemy, what's happened between you and your children. The Christian life is not just pray a little prayer and accept Jesus into your life. There is a growth edge to it. There's an expansion and forward movement as well. The sword of the Spirit that Paul is thinking of is the short sword that the Roman soldier used in close hand-to-hand combat. Again, Paul is emphasizing the closeness of the struggle. Our movement forward is inch by inch, step by step, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. We see Jesus using the sword of the Spirit when he was tempted. Every temptation was met with God's word. That's why if we are going to be prepared for battle, we need to drink in God's word. Especially drink in who God is. Big God, little us. Competent, capable, considerate, covenant-keeping God. A God who gives and forgives. And finally, Paul says this in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We started with truth, the belt of truth, and we end with prayer. Is there anything in your life that wouldn't work better if you prayed a little more? Is there anything in your life that wouldn't work better if you prayed a little more? If you had more of God involved? If God was more involved in your finances than he presently is? If God was invited to work in your work or in your family? Prayer is opening the door to Jesus. Letting Jesus into your angry feelings. Letting Jesus into your guilt. Letting Jesus into your anxiety. Prayer is opening the door to Jesus. When you hear Jesus knocking through some place of stress in your life, I feel so stressed out here, Lord. I'm under attack. Prayer is opening the door to Jesus. Is there any place in your life that having more of Jesus in that area wouldn't be a good thing? Ask him. There is a war on, and we need to put on the armor of God. So I'd like to take a moment to just reflect on where you are, on the struggles that you're facing, on the battles that you're in, and the armor that maybe you've put down. And just take a moment, just between you and God, to reflect on how some of these situations could be different by giving that armor a polish, putting it on, and using it. And then I'll close with some prayer. Father God, I thank you that you know us inside out and there is nothing that we can hide from you. And Father God, I want to pray that for each one of us that you would give us a new desire to put on that armor daily, to be prepared for battle, Lord, I thank you that we are on the victorious side. Father, would you help us to put on truth, righteousness, peace, 
salvation, faith, scripture, and prayer. Would you help us to receive these tools that you have given to us and to make that active choice to put them on? Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are almighty. In Jesus' name. Amen.